the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Bo Snerdley, how are you, my friend? Welcome to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hugh Hewitt, what an honor. My goodness, thank uh, you. How are you doing? Good. The honor is mine. And, Bo, we're going to go long, and we've been telling people about Rush on the radio. And uh, we're going to go down at the end of the show. You'll understand this, and we'll come up and we'll play some more tomorrow. Uh, Bo, we were just talking. Have you ever heard of Harvey Pennick's Little Red Book of Golf? No, I have not. Okay, it's it's the number one book on golf instruction. And so when I read Rush on the radio, I'm now going to tell all the kids who want to get into the business to read this book, because this is actually a producer's guide to radio. It's not it's not like Rush's book. This is how you do it. Wow, that is an amazing comment coming from you, Hewitt. I, I never even looked. I'd never even thought about it that way. Oh, it, uh, you know, I, I want to go to page 117. I approach talk radio like I approach music, you wrote. Music radio. We needed to give the audience and the host a flow that kept everyone engaged. Because of my previous research, I knew where five-minute and seven-minute patterns fell in terms of keeping the rating numbers up. In one sentence, you summarize, it's about the ratings, and you have to deliver a product, Bo. Right. And that is what radio is about. It's what radio has always been about. And the most successful people in it, like yourself, understand the fundamentals of, it's like anything else, the fundamentals of the business. Well, you know, Bo, I say that uh, I might be successful, but uh, I tell people, Rush built the mall. I've just got the Macy's in it. And uh, Mark Levin's got the Nordstrom, but Rush built the mall, and you helped him build it. So when we come back for the longer conversation, which I'll play tomorrow, we'll talk about how you did that. So stand by, and we will we will come back. But i got to ask you very quick, how much time do you have? I have as much time as you want me for. All right. The interview today continues with Bo Snurdly, a.k.a. James Golden, who is now his own golden microphone on the air. How goes the new show, Bo? It's going very well. And I'm having a blast. It's my second round at WABC. I did a weekend show there for years while I was uh, working with uh, with Rush. And so I'm back home at WABC enjoying every minute of it. Uh, we have a friend in common, Phil Boyce, and he told me about that. And everybody in radio knows everyone by one degree of separation. We've never met. But uh, I, I want to go with what I was talking about with Dwayne. Dwayne's been my producer since uh, 2000. He's been in radio since 1995. And I said, if you, I thought he was longer than that. You started with Rush in 87, right? I started at 56 stations to be totally, I blank on the year. It was 56 stations. It was his during the later part of his first year. So, yeah, it had to be about 87. 
I don't know how many hours of radio that is, but it's a phenomenal number of hours. Now, what Dwayne and I were talking about, our number one saying is everybody's a producer. Everybody thinks they can do a radio show. Is that not true, Bo? It looks, it sounds so easy. Oh, I just have to talk. Yeah. No, that's not all you have to do. Yeah. And, it, you'll, and it is extremely difficult to master the nuances of radio. And there's only one way to do it, which is to put in the time and also to be willing to learn about the art and the craft and the science of radio. Now, I'm going to make you upset here. Do you know who you remind me of? Jeff Zucker. And I'll tell you why. Jeff Zucker produced the Today Show for Katie Couric for all those years. So behind every talent who goes for a long time, there is a producer. And I like to give Dwayne a hard time, but behind my show is Dwayne and Adam and Ben, and there's a team. And I like to say this to the left. The two most successful communicators in American modern history are Oprah Winfrey and Rush Limbaugh because they built and maintained audiences of in greater than 20 million people for 30 years. They're the only two that did it. Nobody else did it. I mean, 60 Minutes went longer, but that was a combo. Am I right, Bo? You are 100% right. 100% right. And the amazing thing about it is in building a team, just like you said, you have a long time team. And that's the same thing that Rush had. That's the same thing that Oprah has. You develop a team of people who know how to do their jobs and you leave them alone to do their jobs and they, you expect excellence and that's what you get. And the whole teamwork that goes into that ends up producing something that is excellent and can be sustained for a period of time. Now, Bo, I got one question um, that's specific to radio. Dwayne comes on the air when I ask him to come on the air and we do a bit. You never went on the air with Rush that I heard. Now, I may have missed you come on the air. What was his rule about? What was his rule? I did. Okay. I did. I did for when Obama was in office, we did a bit called the Obama Criticizer. Ah, and that's right. Yeah. So I would go on the air then. But that was the only time that I was really highly visible during brief spells during the Obama years. The rest of it was totally behind the scenes, which I enjoyed because and Rush enjoyed, too, because he would ask me questions. You know, he would just like, you know, you know this. You look in the control room and you can see whether the people are engaged in the control room. And Rush would constantly um, look in there and notice, why are you looking like that? What yeah. did I, in, in reaction to something that he said, but he would play off of it on the air and it was all still part of the show. It was just, it was uh, what a, it's that kind of contact that I think is essential for a great show, actually. Well, you know, when I used to listen with a professional ear, and so I wanted to hear what he was doing. I couldn't do Rush. Rush could do monologues. I'm an interview guy. But the funniest thing I have ever heard on radio was Kennedy's in Jeopardy. Did you have anything to do with that? Yes. we Yes. We all, yes. That was during the William Kennedy Smith trial. Yes. And we decided to make a game show out of it. Oh, no, I almost drove off the 55 in Costa Mesa. I can remember it to this day. I was laughing so hard. There were tears in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah, he was so so witty and creative like that. I know. And and either you got, there are different kinds of show. There are monologists with callers and that's Rush. And then there are people like me. I do interviews. Now, my, I want to get to a couple of things you wrote specifically on page 124. Quote, 
For every single call screening rule I created, and there were a lot of them, you could break one or two and get on the air if you were the right call. Explain what the rules were and why you would break them. Well, the first rule, one of the first rules was I did not deal with conspiracy theorists and all the rest of it because it wasn't what Rush wanted at all for his audience. And he didn't want to spend time engaging in that. So if you called in and your first words were about the Trilateralist Commission and the Bilderberg and the New World Order and all that, you're not going to get on. The Bilderbergers is a giveaway. Yep. (laughs) Yep. However, any rule can be broken depending on the mood of the host and all the other circumstances. So if you called on that day when Rush was just in a in a so humorous mood that anything that you put up would be humorous to him almost. And you called in with a conspiracy theory, you might get on. Because I understood that day he would use it as part of, the, of his humor presentation. Now, Bo, so, you're going to settle a long-running dispute. I've been on the air for 21 years, and this dispute's mm-hmm. been going on for 21. So I want you to know it's freighted. It's freighted. It matters a lot what you're about to say. Does the host pick the music or does the producer and the engineer pick the music? Well, in our case, it was the host and the engineer. But Rush would would go through the bumper catalog. That was his. And it was up to the engineer to play them uh, when, as he thought, was appropriate. And that's what Mike did very well. And so he he built a bumper catalog. I've done that, and that's what Adam does. He stays on my bumper yep. catalog. Mm-hmm. And why would they – tell people why that matters. Because it's the host's personality. This is all personality-driven. It is what you like you. It is a reflection of you. The music you like is a reflection of you. It's a reflection of your life. It is – we all have a soundtrack to our lives. The music that we grew up with, the music that we like, and that yeah. becomes part of your personality, and all of your personality gets expressed. People know when they hear your music, they can tell so much without you saying a word. They can tell, they can tell whether you have the same kind of music interest as they do. They can tell, in some cases, where you grew up, what you listen to how you relate to different people. All of these things are incredibly important because they're really subtle, but they are definite tells on who the person is that you're listening to. And they also are endorphin bursts. If you play the right music, you'll give your host an endorphin burst, which brings me to Rush's loss of hearing. When he lost his hearing, you could no longer play for him his happy music. Whatever took him, I don't know what it was. You know, it could be Herb Alpert. It could be, I don't know what his happy music was, but I got my happy music. What did you do after he lost his hearing about music? Here's the most incredible thing, Hugh. When Rush first uh, got the cochlear implant, he, he told us that sounds, our voices, sounded to him as if, it were all like a Donald Duck kind of sound that you're listening to. But over a period of time, his mind filled in the blank. So he could differentiate between our voices. And when he first lost his hearing, 
the only music that he tried, and it was painful at first, that he tried to listen to was music that he knew. And he said that his mind would fill in the other parts. Ah. He would have the music heavily compressed. Our engineer would would take everything that he had in his music library and run it through a compressor. And then he would listen to it over, you know, over speakers or over in his ear, in his ear device. That, that's fascinating. Hugh, toward the end of his life, something different happened. And I was so happy for him. He began to listen to new music. Oh. oh. And I was just like, wow, something must have changed. And he never talked about it. But he would come in and he would start adding, again, music to the bumper rotation. He said, I heard this music on a TV show. I want to play it. And he would give it to the engineer. It was so gratifying because he loved soap music so much yeah. that I think he got some degree of restoration with his ability to listen to new sounds. All right. Let me talk to you about seminar callers. First of all, to change the language is to achieve something. And Rush changed the language in many ways, ditto being the obvious one. But seminar caller is a term of art that is now <laughs> widely recognized and known around the world in Russian, and you invented it. When would you let a seminar caller on? Because they're pretty easy to spot. When it was obvious that Rush, when, that Rush would use it to make a point. And that was the point of all callers. You had to have something that was going to contribute to the show that day with where Rush's mood was and the stories he's covering. See, this is what producers really do. We're there to... to, to we are there to kind of read your mind of where you want to go and anticipate what you want to do, what your mood is. We are constantly, good producers are constantly checking in, internally with everything they know about you. Will this fit with him? Is this going to add to the show? Is this going to bring out something in, in the host of the show? And so when... I felt that it was okay that a seminar caller wouldn't be an irritant, but it would be something that Rush could use to make a point. Then I would allow a seminar caller on. Wow. And I'd also just put in, and sometimes, by the way, I wasn't sure whether the person I had on the line was a seminar caller or not. So I'd put a question mark in parenthesis, seminar caller, maybe. Ah. Uh. Well, if I only had a producer, Bo, if I, I would be so if I now that's one of the things I tease Dwayne about. And great athletes, by the way, have teams. You watch a great individual athlete like Tiger Woods or Michael Phelps or Serena Williams. They don't do that. By, that's what King Richard, the movie just brought out. Serena Williams is actually the product of about 50 people. And Rush has got about 50 people. You first among equals and Kit Carson, of course, late Kit Carson. There were uh, uh, what? how big is the team total, do you think? We had about 28 people that were part of the regular show and Enterprise. Like, we had um, five or six people regular with the newsletter. Our web team was about 10 people. And then the broadcast team was really small. There were three of us with Rush in Florida and another uh, two in New York. Do, do you was- hear Dwayne in the background, Bo, talking about how – how, no, how, he does not. He does. He now. doesn't hear you saying, "Oh, we have three. Oh, we have one. Oh, he says we don't have a newsletter." St-. You don't hear any of that, do you, Bo? I didn't hear that. Yeah, he's always complaining. Did you complain to Rush as much as Dwayne complains? 
I don't know about as much, but I would complain to Rush about things. Amen, I, brother. Oh, <laughs> stop. You. Go back no, in your cave. I would. This is this is my but interview. You know what I would complain to him the most about? I would complain to Rush because I would read something that someone said, and Rush would just ignore it, and I was just livid. Ah. I would just walk in there. And, you know, I hated interrupting his show prep. We all do when he's in there. But there were days that I would read something in, in, in one of the mainstream outlets, and I couldn't contain myself. I'd march down, open his door, and I'd just go, you're not going to believe this crap. You have to respond to this, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes he'd just look up at me and he'd just start laughing. <laughs> like, would you just calm down? It's not a big deal. You know? <laughs> hey, Bo, were you on 24-7 call? Dwayne calls me his second wife because I will occasionally text him. Like once a year, I'll text him on the off day. How often would Rush get reach out to you on an off day? It wasn't very often, actually. And because he was always doing show prep and so was I. And we always and so was the rest of the team. We always were on the lookout for things that we uh, thought that Rush would be interested in. But if I did, if on a weekend I thought that something that there was just he had to see that moment, he would take it really seriously because I rarely tried. I didn't try to disturb him on his downtime. All right, now I got to ask you uh, a question that's been looming for years. Rush invented another term, the stack of stuff. And everybody in radio has a stack of stuff. What did you do with the stack of stuff at the end of the broadcast? At the end of the the stack of stuff got um, sent to the webmaster, Coco, George. And all of that ended up in the archive material in the website. So that even the stories that he didn't get to, people could go through and search the stack and find stories that what what he was prepared to talk about that day. And everything was in there. Oh, interesting. If I had a uh, web producer, I could do that, too. Now, let's talk about guest host. <laughs> Michael Medved, guest hosted for me. Bob Dornan, good friend. I can't believe you let B1 guest host. Let's stop at Bob for a second. That's a nightmare. Bob couldn't hit a break. If you gave him a million dollars, he couldn't hit it. What did you do, Bo? I love Bob Dornan, and we got him into the daggone breaks, no matter how difficult it is, and it was sometimes very insistent. Um, yeah, Bob was one of the first. and But see, Bob was on in the early days, and that's one of the reasons that I actually started, quote-unquote, taking over more of the responsibilities of producing when Russ was away because I listened to the show, and to be totally honest with you, I wasn't happy with what I was hearing. And I said, you know what? I need to step it up here. And so that's when I, every day that Rush was there, I was there. But almost every day that Rush wasn't there, I was there too, because I wanted a continuity with the way the show sounded. Oh, I, I, uh, so very rarely do I we have a guest a host. vacation time. Yeah, very rarely do we have a guest host without Dwayne there. Because it's 250 shows a year. And uh, and 20 of those are going to be a guest host. And they may or may not, until you know what they're doing. Like Mark Stein was a regular guest on our show and he guest hosted. You can leave Mark alone. Mark can do anything. And Jason yep. Lewis is a pro. And Roger Hedgecock is a pro. And Chris Plant is a pro. But if you bring in a new person uh, for a while, we had Kurt Schlichter as, as a great guest host now and Ed Morrissey and, and, and people that you know like uh, Larry O'Connor. Uh, they know what they're doing. But if you're bringing in a rookie, you're taking a risk. Both thirdly. Yeah. And you have to, you know, you have to explain to them the culture of what you're doing. Everybody does their show differently, 
And most people don't have the time to listen to three hours of somebody else's show. So we, we have a certain culture that was that Rush created. We needed to maintain that when Rush was gone. And so that's why I felt the need to be there so much of it. And then I, but I don't want to say it was all me because we had two other people that I trained and worked with for, and we all still kept bouncing off each other for years on how to work with guest hosts. And yeah, so they, I could, toward the later years, take a little bit more time off and leave it in the hands of Ali, who's now producing Clay and Buck, and also a guy by the name of Greg, who um, who also stepped in for me. I, I got to tell people out there who are listening, Rush on the Radio is an insider. Yeah, it's a memoir of Rush Limbaugh, a great American, but it's also a user's guide to understanding what's going on and how to use it. I want to wrap up this way. You're a cancer survivor, as is Dwayne. Uh, and I found your battle with cancer to be touching and well-described. And I liked it when Rush talked about his health on the air. I love it when everyone talks about their health on the air because it tells people they're not alone. Is that why he would do it? Yeah. Um, I and, and primarily, I, I decided to do it for another reason, gratitude. I got treatment at NIH. And NIH is in the news a lot lately. And... My treatment at NIH was the most incredible health experience I've ever had in my life. The care, the level of caring there, the level of commitment, the level of understanding how to make someone feel comfortable while they're dealing with the most difficult time in their life. Those people are were a godsend. I, I put it like this. If everyone had experienced the same level of care that I had at NIH, no one in this country would complain about health care. That's beautifully put. I just wish they had better communicators, Bo. I wish they'd hire you to handle the messaging on, on the virus. Let me conclude on page 221. I'm quoting Bo Snerdly, a.k.a. James Golden right now. I believe our mission in life is to lead a good life, to be good, to do good, to live every day by the golden rule. The entire purpose of our life, I believe, is to try to perfect ourselves spiritually. I agree with that, uh, Bo. Why do you think so many of the critics of Rush and of you and of me and of Dwayne and of everyone in the media fails to realize we have this point of view? I mean, it, I think, by the way, it's on the left. Everyone's doing the best they can for the most people they can for as long as they can. And we might be wrong. But a whole bunch of people don't credit us with trying to be right. Because it would take away their argument. They need a villain. And so we're, the, we're their choice. When all of us, when, when, you, when you stop villainizing people, all of a sudden then you have to have a discussion about the actual issues, not about the villain. And when you start having discussions about the issues, recognizing that both sides or all sides want what's best for people, then you actually can arrive at solutions. And I maintain that a lot of people that are the detractors don't want solutions. They want the issue so that they can continue to do what they do with the issue, whether it's make money off it or gain power from it or whatever it is. They don't want the solutions. I, I think you're right. Now, my, my last two uh, comments are my two favorite cliches. The Irish saying, when everybody says you're drunk, you'd better sit down. And then the Quaker saying, which is an enemy is a friend whose story you haven't heard. 
I think anyone who reads Rush on the radio is going to be a friend to Bo Snurdly and a friend uh, after the fact to Rush. How is the book doing, Rush on the radio? The book is doing very well, from what I understand from the publishers. It is charting very well. They were a little bit miffed that it was not included in the New York Times bestseller list because it was outselling the books, many of the books that were added to the bestseller list in the New York Times the last two weeks. I don't care about that one way or another. I just wanted to do my best. The rest is up to God. And you know what? And, and, and I wanted to make sure that my only fear was that that I wouldn't be able to tell a story that the Rush fans and Rush listeners found compelling. If I did that, then I said I set out to do everything that I wanted to do if, if I accomplished that. I Grand slam you. home run, Bo. Grand slam home run, run, James Golden. You hit Thank it. You. you hit it out of the park. And it's going to be a classic of broadcast school for decades to come. Thank you, my friend. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Hugh Hewitt. You are one of the most amazing broadcasters on this planet, as well as a gifted writer. And you influence so many people. You have influenced me my entire career. All of us in this business have nothing but immense, immense respect for you. And what an honor it is. Now, you're a seminar guest, and you just keep going as long as you want, Bosner. That's <laughs> Thank you, my friend. That, that means you. a lot coming from a pro's pro. That, thank you. Be well. Thank you, Hugh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. AndrewandTodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.